Father in heaven, we thank you, Lord, for that great love displayed. Lord, let it touch our hearts this morning. Lord, we're not here for tradition, formality, or just going through the motions. We are here to encounter you, Lord God Almighty. Lord, help us to do that this morning through your word, through the Holy Spirit, through the fellowship. Help us to encounter the risen Lord Jesus. For we love you and we praise you. Work mightily in our midst, Father. Sweep across this room in the hearts of your children. For we love you and praise you in Jesus' mighty name. All God's people said, amen. Amen, you may have a seat. As a pastor, uh, I'm just speaking from the heart right now. My passion and my desire is that everyone that comes to Calvary Chapel Irmo that chooses to take the time out on the Sunday morning, that one of several things happen. First off, if you're not saved, my hope and prayer is that you see the glory of God in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you see the beautiful message of the cross, and that you fall on your face and repent and trust in Christ and that you get soundly saved, that you come to know this great love. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's what I want you to know. That's my heart. That's my passion. And if I get that across to you guys, if you leave here soundly saved, man, I'm just rejoicing in my heart. And then for the believers, for the believers, my hope and prayer is that you love God more that you love God more, and that you can't wait to get home and to dive into his word and to explore the amazing, beautiful truths of scripture. So that's that's our vision, man. That's that's our motive. That's that's what we got going on here is we want to see people get saved and we want to see people love Jesus more and more. Amen? So this morning, we come to one of the most challenging passages Uh, in the scriptures. So please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16. And uh, this is one of the most challenging statements that the Lord Jesus Christ makes in all of scripture. So please, please listen closely. You'll be out of here by 12 o'clock and out and heading for lunch. But for this next 30 to 45 minutes, let's focus on the word of God. Let's focus on what God has to say. Amen? Matthew chapter 16 Look at verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit it to a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father and his angels, and then he will reward each according to his work. Lord, thank you for your word as we study it now, Father. Open and fillet our hearts and do your surgical work by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name I pray, amen. Amen. The title of my message this morning is Entering Through the Cross. Entering Through the Cross. What does it mean to believe in Jesus. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? 
if you ask five different people, you'll probably get five different answers. You know, what does it look like? What does, what does the authentic Christian life look like for the person who trusts in Christ? What words, what words would you use to describe the Christian walk? Based on your experience and you serving Christ, what adjectives would you use to describe your walk? Maybe on one of your heroes of the faith, maybe it's Billy Graham or, or, or Jim Elliott or, or some other famous believer. What, how would you describe their walk with Christ? What stands out? Well, family, what we're looking at this morning, man, this is the pinnacle of following the Lord Jesus Christ. Those three verses I just read to you. But what we're going to do is we do in all of our Bible studies, we're going to study it in context. So let's back up to Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to start at verse 19 because we finished with verse 18 last week. Let's take a look at what the scripture says. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19 says, And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, if you're reading that verse and you've never read this passage before, the first question that should come to your mind is, what is he talking about here? What are the keys to the kingdom of heaven in verse 19? The keys to the kingdom of heaven, they are the keys. The, this, the, the keys are the authority that Christ has given to the church to proclaim what is truth and error based on the word of God. The church has been given the authority by Jesus to call all people everywhere to repentance. God has given, uh, Jesus has given the church authority to exercise church discipline. Jesus has given the church authority to handle all matters in accordance with God's word. We bound or impose God's word or we loose, meaning we untether things that aren't biblical according to what the scripture says. And at Calvary Chapel, we would call this, let's be biblical. How important is that? That we be biblical in our theology, that we be biblical in our doctrine, that we be biblical in our practice, that we be biblical in our evangelism? Man, that's what it's all about. And being a disciple of Christ is being biblical. Not so that we can be religious, but so that we can be faithful followers of Christ. We say, Lord, I love you this, I love you so much. You're so awesome and you're so amazing. I want to do things according to your word. A true follower of Christ wants things done according to the Bible. His personal life, his family life, his church life, his doctrine, and his theology. And God has given you and I the key. And the key is the Bible. The inspired infallible, inerrant, perfect, eternal word of God. When you open the Bible, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, theonostos is the Greek word for God breathed. He breathed it out and he's given us clear instructions on how to live the Christian life, how to be a witness, and how to live an everyday life. And those are the keys that God has given us. Those are the keys that, are, that God has given us. His holy word. Verse 9, excuse me, verse 20. Verse 20, interesting statement here. Look at it. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. Wait a minute. That, if you read that verse alone, that, that, don't, 
that don't sound like it jives. That don't sound like it, it, it makes sense. He's saying, don't tell people that Jesus is the Christ. What you need to understand is at this point in the Gospels, Matthew chapter 16, we are two and a half years, we are two and a half years into the public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is a pivotal point. In Math, starting here in Matthew chapter 16, chapter 17, chapter 18, chapter 19, we're going to see a shift. Jesus is going to go from preaching the gospel and proclaiming the good news to the masses and healing the sick and performing all these miracles. There's a few more miracles left, but for the most part, Jesus is going to shift here and he's going to focus on his disciples. He's going to focus on intimacy with his 12 disciples because they are fixing to witness the greatest event in human history. Okay, so he's got to clear their minds. He's got to prepare their hearts for what they are going to witness because what they are going to witness is going to change the world. So that's why we see this statement here. He, he's, 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 it's a shift in the ministry of Jesus from the public to his disciples. And to confirm that, look at the next verse, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. They weren't ready for this. They were not mentally prepared for what they were gonna see and Jesus knew it. So now in his omniscience, being almighty God, knowing all things, now he's going to prepare his disciples. And I was going to say he's prepared to see the, the, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, they're going to go on to write the inspired word of God. So he, he's laying the platform here. Jesus is preparing the disciples for what he knows is going to happen. Unfortunately, they weren't getting it. You know, they're waiting for Jesus to overthrow Roman, the Roman occupation. They were fixated only on what they could see. Jesus was fixated on God's eternal plan. Are you and I fixated on God's eternal plan? Do we put his plan first? Do we live with a, an, an eternal perspective? You ought to, because how long are you going to be gone for when you leave this life? Forever. There's nothing more important than our eternal salvation. There's nothing more important to make sure that eternal matters are taken care of first. Once eternity is taken care of, once the heart and the soul is taken care of, everything else in life will take care of itself. We've got to be live with an eternal perspective. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says, While we do not look at the things which are seen, but the things that are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporary, but the things that are not seen are eternal. What plan are you focused on in this life? Your plan or God's plan? Your plan's important, but God's plan is more important. And we have to get our lives right with him. And we have to focus on discipleship and evangelism and building up believers so that they can live with an eternal perspective. That's what it's all about, is winning your heart to Christ and then helping others come to Christ and living with an eternal perspective. But they weren't seeing that, man. They're like, man, he's going to come in. He's going to wipe out Rome. He's going to establish the kingdom. We're going to go into the millennial reign. And, and they're all jacked up and excited. And he's like, no, that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Verse 22, we see flaws in Peter's heart. 
but let's not be judgmental because you and I have flaws in our heart also. Look at um, verse 22. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Man rebuking God. Wow. Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. So look inside of Peter's heart. Peter does not like this. Peter does not like what's happening because it doesn't fit his narrative. It doesn't fit what's in his brain of what he thinks is going to take place. This is a major flaw in Peter's heart. Peter wanted the throne and the kingdom. He wanted it now. You know, he wanted the throne, the kingdom. He wanted to experience all the glory and all the power. But what he failed to realize is, and what you and I need to understand, there is no throne and there is no kingdom for Peter or you or I without a cross. There has to be a cross. So before we hammer Peter, keep in mind, you and I, we are just like Peter. We like the ruling. We like the reigning. We like the conquering. We like uh, the eternal life. But we don't like the suffering. We don't like the persecution. We don't like the dying of self that comes with the cross. But you and I, friends, as disciples and followers of Christ, we must enter through the cross. And when I say enter through the cross, I mean experience the cross. I'm talking about discipleship, where we, where we lay our lives down for our King Jesus. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. It's about laying our life down for King Jesus. So what does it mean to enter through the cross? We'll get there when we get to verse 24. Let's look at verse 23 first. Verse 23 says, But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Wow. Last week, remember last week, if you if you're, if you're with us last Sunday, Peter knocked it out the park, man. He just, he just reared back, and he just hit a grand slam last Sunday. You remember what he said? He said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, I'll build my church upon this truth. Last week, Peter is the rock that the church is built on. Now who is Peter? Just a couple of verses later. Peter Satan. He's Satan. Peter is his own stumbling block. Peter is zealous for following Christ. Praise the Lord for that. But he has a zeal of emotion without understanding of Jesus' mission. And notice Jesus says two, two, two things to him in verse 23. Number one, he calls him Satan. He calls him Satan. Now, Peter is not Lucifer, okay? But at this point in his flesh, him and Satan are having the same thoughts because neither one of them want the cross. Neither one of them want Jesus to go to the cross. Satan doesn't want Jesus to go to the cross because he knows that he will be defeated. He will be defeated according to the prophecy of Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, the Proto-Evangelium, where, where he will be destroyed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Secondly, um, he says to Peter, who just knocked it out of the park last week, now he says in verse uh, 23, you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Peter here is worldly minded. 
And friends and family, I'm not, I'm not throwing Peter under the bus. I've been spiritual one day, just on cloud nine serving Christ and rejoicing in the Lord and just, just felt like I was at the next level with my walk with the Lord. And 12 hours later, man, I'm, I'm in the gutter. I'm in the gutter. I've slipped. I've fallen. I've fallen into temptation. I've said things I shouldn't have said. But that's how it is with the Christian life. It's sometimes we have successes. Sometimes we have failures. But when we have failures, we repent and we get back on the horse and we continue to serve the Lord. Verse 24. Verse 24. This is the bread and butter of the, of the teaching this morning. Look, look closely and listen closely. Verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Here in verse 24 is where I got my sermon title. Is, is, here's the definition of entering through the cross. And I use that phrase, entering through the cross, because of Jesus' words he used in this verse. But you could also say discipleship. Entering through the cross and discipleship are the same things. It's where we put our heart, our mind, our actions in our lives, and we lay it all before the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he's calling you to. If you're not saved, he's calling you to salvation. He's calling you to repent, turn from your sin, put your trust in Christ, receive him as your Lord and Savior, become a follower of Jesus, and then he's calling you to lay your life down for his glory and his gospel. That is the message of the gospel, that he calls us to give our lives. He wants more than your heart. He wants everything. So if you take God's word serious, and you're foolish if you don't, what will it cost you to follow Jesus? Everything. Everything. That's the command of the gospel. Most people hear this and they check out. They say, no, thank you. There's a false gospel out there that says, just believe that God exists and you will be okay. There's no turning from sin. There's no spiritual growth. There's no esteem for the sacrifice of Jesus. There's no esteem for the word of God. If you hear it, run, run, because he commands our life. So let's break verse 24 down. Let's see what it means to enter through the cross slash discipleship. Verse 24, I'm going to break it down into four parts. The opening part of the verse says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me. I want to stop right there. He says, if anyone. Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me. This invitation is to all people. This invitation is to the President of the United States. This invitation is to the homeless man on Skid Row. This invitation is to you and I. This invitation goes throughout the world to whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord, they shall be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. The invitation is to all people. The invitation is to you. The invitation is to me. Will we say, yes, Lord? Yes, Lord, I will follow you. If anyone desires, is there a desire in your heart? You, you examine yourself right now. You think in yourself, yourself, this is not to the person on the left or right. Is, is there a desire? Do you have a desire in your heart to follow Christ? I hope so. And that's a beautiful place to be. It starts there. It starts with just that little mustard seed of faith. That little mustard seed of faith, that desire as you follow that desire, God will pour his water on that desire and cause it to grow. It'll go from desire to repentance to faith to salvation to discipleship to sanctification, and you will grow in your love 
for the Lord. If anyone desires to come after me. So it's, it's, it's open. The door is open for whosoever. And then he says, the second part of the verse, he says, let him deny himself. Look at it. It says right there, come at, let him deny himself. What does it mean to deny ourselves? It simply means to repent. It means to deny your sinful desires. You understand that it was your sin that held Jesus to the cross. And now, today, you resist and fight temptation. We fight against it. There's a war going on inside of each and every one of us. Yes, I'm 100% uh, application to every single one of us in here. There is a war taking place in our souls between the spirit and the flesh. Who are you going to yield to? I ask myself, who am I going to yield to when I face temptations, when I, when I face the trials, when I face the past? I crucify it, and I say, Lord Jesus, I'm going to worship you in the moment, and I'm going to sacrifice, and I'm going to serve you. I'm going to, sac- I'm going to, I'm going to give myself over to you. You see, when you become a follower of Christ, a funeral takes place. A funeral takes place. In April of 1992, there was a funeral. It took place at 1705 Todd's Lane, Hampton, Virginia, zip code 23666. As I went forward at a church and I received Christ as my Lord and Savior, that day I began the process of dying. Yes, dying. Dying to my flesh. Dying to my sinful desires, dying to the things of this world, and I began my journey with Christ. I was not perfect. I brought sin and baggage into my Christian walk, things that I struggle with, things that I wrestled with. But through discipleship, through accountability, through spiritual growth, through doing what you're doing right now, the Lord began to cause me to grow in that funeral took place throughout the whole process. Listen to what Paul says in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He talks about this funeral. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So Paul's saying here, um, when he met Christ, he was crucified. He died. Now what's he talking about there? He's talking about his, the old life, the life before Christ, the, the life that pursued sin, the life that went after darkness. He died to those ways. A funeral took place, and the new man, the new Apostle Paul, came to life. He went from Saul to Paul. And, and also, talking about denying ourselves, there's spiritual disciplines that will continue throughout your entire Christian life, Okay? Unfortunately, uh, you can't get to a point in the Christian walk where you say, I've arrived. You haven't arrived, I haven't arrived. And so what you and I have to do, Christians, is we have to exercise spiritual disciplines. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul says, But I discipline my body, and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. What are spiritual disciplines? What are the spiritual disciplines that should be a part of our life that will help us grow in our walk with the Lord? Number one is being in the Word. Being in the Word. I'm not going to tell you how much or how long, but we need to spend daily time reading our Bibles and spending time in the 
the word of God. We need to spend time in prayer. You need to spend time in prayer, spending time with your heavenly father in your prayer closet, saying, Lord, help me to grow. Help me to serve you. Uh, being in fellowship. Man, there's something supernatural that takes place uh, during church, not only during worship, but not only during teaching, but before church and after church. When I say in Jesus' name, God bless you, have a great day, amen, and everybody gets up and they're heading for the door, that's some of the best fellowship and some of the best ministry time in a church. Do you know that? Because you are rubbing shoulders with each other. You are encouraging each other. You are challenging each other. You are building each other up with encouraging words, propelling people towards Christ. So those are the spiritual disciplines that help us, going back to our verse, that help us deny ourselves. The third part of the verse, he says, and take up his cross. What does it mean for the disciple to take up their cross? To take up the cross is simply you're willing to pay any price for your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a willingness to endure shame, embarrassment, reproach, rejection, persecution, and even death for his sake. In other words, you will not allow anything to come before Christ. You will not allow anything to stand in the way of you serving Christ. If something or someone gets in your way, you're going to be like, <clears throat> step aside. You're going to be like, move, get out of the way. Because you're going to seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all things are going to be taken care of. So we, we take up our cross. We let nothing stand in the way. And we're willing to endure anything for the name of Christ. You know, Jesus did that too also in his public ministry. He endured a lot. The author of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 2 says, Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured. Look at it and, and up on the verse screen. It says, he endured the cross. In other words, the cross was not easy. It was not simple. It was difficult. It was challenging for Jesus to endure the cross. What enabled him to endure the cross? It's in his omniscience, he had you and I on his mind. He had you and I on his mind. He had the end goal, which was salvation. He knew he was going to go to the cross so that people could be forgiven of their sins, and he endured it. And then it says, he despised the shame. He was spit upon. He was hit. He was beaten. He was completely humiliated. Our religious art portrays him with clothes on the cross. Very likely, there were no clothes on him because he was completely humiliated at the cross. He did that for you and me. He did that for you and me. We should live our lives for him because he's so awesome and he's so amazing and he did such a wonderful thing for us at the cross. But it wasn't difficult. I mean, it wasn't easy. You know, the, the hypostatic union, 100% God, 100% man, but in his humanity, it was difficult and it was challenging, but he did it for us. And then he sat down at the right hand of God. So, family, let's take up our cross and follow Jesus. We will endure anything for his namesake because we love him and he gave his life for us. The final part of verse 24 is the last three words. Last three words. He says, it just says three words, and follow me. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Well, it means you're not in front of him, but you're actually behind him. To follow him means you get behind him and you follow 
where he goes. So what does that mean? Jesus is not walking down St. Andrew's Road right now, and you can't run out there on the side of St. Andrew's and start walking behind Jesus. Okay, he's not walking down the road. So what does it mean to follow him? What does it mean to get behind him? It means you live for God, and you leave this world behind. That phrase, follow me, it means you proclaim with your life that Jesus is Lord. You proclaim with your life that he is Lord. When Jesus says, uh, follow me, when he says, follow me, that could also be said that, uh, follow my word. That's what it means to follow Jesus, is we open up his word and we do what he says. You know, we live in a day and age now where everybody wants a costless salvation and cheap religion to pacify their soul. That's not what Jesus offers. He wants more than your heart. He wants your whole life. Now, please listen to me very closely. Salvation is a free gift. There is nothing you can do to earn it. It is free. It's 100% God, 0% you. It's all given by God. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It is his free gift to you. But how you respond to that free gift is the truest picture of your faith. It is the truest picture of your faith. So as I'm looking at this, as I'm looking at this text this week and I'm, I'm studying it and cooking on it all week, just processing and thinking about it, you know, I look at my faith and I ask you to look at your faith. Are you denying your sinful desires? Are you denying? Are you saying, no, I'm not going to do that no more. I'm going to fight. If I fall, I'm going to get back up, but I'm going to fight. And I'm going to deny my sinful desires. That war that's taking place in every person here. Are you taking up your cross? Are you willing to serve Christ no matter what? To be focused. That's what it means to follow Jesus. If, 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 if not, if, if, if your answer to these questions is, well, pastor, I really am not. I'm, I'm not there yet. What do I do? You repent, you fix it, and you get with the program. It's that simple. You, you, you repent, you fix it, and you get with the program. And you say, Holy Spirit, please change my heart. Please change my heart. Work in my life so that I can live this life of surrender to you. Live this life of surrender and obedience to you. That's what it means to enter through the cross. That's what it means for discipleship, is that we follow him with all of our hearts. Now let's move on to our next verse. What an amazing verse. Everybody should have Matthew 16, 24 memorized. He continues in this challenging text. In verse 25, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus is saying, if you choose to save your life for yourself, you will waste it. You will wreck it. And it will count nothing for the God's eternal plan. But, I love the word but. And there's a but in there, right in the middle. But, right in the middle, right in the middle of verse 25. I like buts. But if you choose to lose your life for him, you will find true meaning and purpose in life. And your life will count for the glory of God. 
And I'm telling you, man, it's just, it's liberating. It brings peace. It brings joy when you live a life of surrender to Christ because you're living your life not for yourself, but for the glory of God. And we're gonna see in a minute, it's, it's, gonna, it's gonna bring an eternal reward. And there's no greater place I would rather be. As Stephen Curtis Chapman said, it's the great adventure. There, there's no better place to be in this world than serving Christ and living for his honor and his glory. It brings such peace of mind, such peace to the soul when we're living and surrender to him. Now, verse 26. Verse 26 says, for what profit, excuse me, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Verse 26 is, is written for those who are on the fence or for those who just say, no thanks. It's really a warning if you look at it, verse 26. It, it, it's, it's a warning, verse 26, to those who are on the fence or those who would turn away. I mean, seriously? Are, are you willing to forfeit salvation? Are you willing to forfeit eternity with Christ? Are you willing to forfeit God's blessing on your life for the sinful pleasures of this world? Are you serious? I was born at night, but it wasn't last night, okay? There's nothing more important than our relationship with Christ. Only someone who is deceived and foolish would make that choice. Don't be a fool, but serve Christ and love him. That's what you're here for. That's your, that's your number one purpose in this life. Higher than your career, higher than your family, higher than the air you breathe, is that you're here to know the creator of this blue sky and the clouds, and the sun, and the moon, and the stars, and the planets, and the universe, and all that is, you were placed here to know the Father, to know God, and to serve him with all your heart, the creator of the universe. It's a beautiful life. Don't lose out. Don't miss out. Don't let life run through and not have given your life to Christ, not have served the Lord Jesus Christ, not to understand the beauty of losing your life for the Lord Jesus. There's nothing greater, nothing greater. Everything else, as Paul would say in Philippians, is sky belong, is rubbish, it means horse manure, compared to knowing who Christ is. Let's continue our final verse this morning. There's a reward. There's a reward, friend. Those who enter through the cross and enter into to believing and trusting in Christ, there is a reward. Look at verse 27. Thank you, Lord, for rewards. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father and with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. There is a reward for entering through the cross and trusting in Christ. Not only forgiveness of sin um, and God's blessing and, and new life in Christ, but one day... You're going to stand before him in glory. Eternity. You know, we're in time, space, and matter. We're in this universe. But one day we're going to step into eternity. And we're going to be standing before his bright and blazing and majestic and breathtaking glory of heaven. And we'll hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy 
of your master. The Lord Jesus Christ, just as sure as he came to this world and he died on the cross for our sins and that he rose from the grave and that he ascended to heaven, one day he will split that eastern sky and he will come again. And he's not coming to bring salvation, but he's coming to consummate salvation, the rapture of the church where he will return for his children and we will, be, we will be out of here in the twinkling of an eye. And the next thing you know, you'll be living life here on earth. Next thing you know, you'll be in the glory of heaven, standing before the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 14, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place, and if I go and prepare a place, I will come again. Thomas looked to him around verse five and says, Lord, how can we know the way? Jesus made that most profound statement that, that def- defies, defies all people that go against him. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Paul would go on to say in 2 Corinthians 13, 8, for nothing can be done against the truth, but only for the truth. This truth is invincible. This truth is eternal. And friends and family, this is a truth that you can build your life on. It's beautiful, it's glorious, he loves you. God, God, God loves you. He, he loves you greatly. Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But our sin, talking to people that are not believers, talking to people that aren't Christian, God loves you, but your sin separates you from God. And what God requires of you, who are not believers, is to repent. Turn from your sin. Say, God, I'm sorry. I put my trust in you, Lord Jesus. Please come into my life. Save me and give me this new life. Give me this new heart that Pastor David is talking about. That is the, the greatest, most important decision that we will ever make in this life. And let me tell you something. Every day after you make that commitment to Christ, after you receive him as your Lord and Savior, every day after that, it will be the greatest thing you can do in this life but to, to live for his glory and to serve him with all your heart. In closing this morning, have you entered through the cross? Have you entered through the cross? Synonymous with, um, are you committed to being a disciple? Put put where the rubber meets the road. I I wanna grow in Christ, I wanna love Christ, I wanna study his word, I wanna get into prayer, I wanna be in fellowship. That's what it means. Remember this, thinking back to Peter's statement earlier, There is no throne or kingdom for you and I without the cross. We have to go through the cross. Why do you have to go through the cross first? Because our sin has to be dealt with first. And God in his sovereign majesty and glory and perfection, he he, he dealt with it at the cross so that when we enter through the cross, we can experience the throne and the kingdom as as Peter was looking forward to. We can look forward to that. Make a decision today to lay your life down for the cross and follow Jesus. In closing, if you're not a believer this morning, God commands you to repent, turn from your sin, and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in doing that, say, Lord Jesus, please come into my life Receive, repent, trust. 
put, give your, you surrender your life to him. Do that, to, do that today. Today is the day of salvation if you hear his voice. Open your heart to his mercy, to his grace, and to his truth. And to all the believers and to the Christians who have crossed that line of faith, I challenge you to grow in your love and your obedience to Christ. Get into discipleship. Get into the word. Let the word of God wash over you and grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this morning's service, and thank you, Lord, for us studying your word and looking at this beautiful passage on entering through the cross and discipleship. Lord, I pray by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you'll minister to each heart this morning. Every person here knows where they're at in their walk with you. Some of them haven't entered into that walk. Some of them are well into it. I pray that you cause us all to grow. Help us to consider the cost. Help us to look to the cross. Help us to follow you. Help us to take up our cross. Help us to deny ourselves. And help us to love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our mind. Lord, we love you and praise you. First, in the mighty and wonderful name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.